people talk about resilience a lot. And I want to share with you today two stories that I look to to understand what resilience can look like. I'm going to share with that you that <laughs> I'm going to share that with you today on Shattered the Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to Shattered the Podcast. Sharing the lived experience of mental illness on a father, a mother, a family. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. It's one of those buzzwords that seems to be flying around a lot lately. The whole resilience. How do I become resilient? What is resilience? How does one be resilient? What does it look like? Well, I want to share with you two of my experiences that have taught me how to understand the idea, the concept, the reality of resilience. So the second story that I'm going to tell you happened just a couple of days ago, and that's important because the reflection today is going to be a real contrast between the incident that happened just a couple of days ago and one that happened a few years ago. All right. So a few years ago, I was taking my daughter to a place to play tennis and we had to walk down a, like a path in Canberra. We call them bike paths. Um, they're a little bit wider than a sidewalk. Um, and they're shared for pedestrians and bikes. So we had to go down to the tennis court from the park, car park. I uh, was walking down. I didn't have shoes on, which is not unusual for me. And there was a couple of bikes across the pathway. Now, I could have walked off the concrete and gone on to the dirt or the rocks or whatever it was on the side, but I really didn't feel like doing that. And I thought it was kind of uh, rude that some kids had ridden down the bike path, they'd drop their bikes on the bike path and then just run off to play tennis. So I picked up one of the bikes and I shoved it off the path. Uh, I thought that was eminently reasonable and I didn't think anything of it. We walked down to the tennis court. So I get my daughter involved with the class. It's the first time she's ever been. I'm walking back and a woman comes up and says, why did you throw my kid's bike? And I went, what, what are you talking about? Like I, I barely registered what she was asking me. She said, you threw my kid's bikes. I said, I don't recall throwing anything. She said, no, no, you don't. Anyway, my reaction to this was bad. Uh, my fight or flight kicked in and I just went off. I was outraged that I'd been accused of doing something which I hadn't done. And I've talked about that airbag of emotion that comes, that bang, that heated emotion. This, this was that on steroids. I, I was livid. Uh, I was angry. I was frightened in the back of my mind. I could feel my assailant crawling sort of up the back of my neck. He was there. He was going to attack me. And this woman was him and she's just going me. And I'm trying to explain that her kids put the bikes on the path and I put them off the path. If I had have thrown them, 
If I was trying to be a jerk, I would have thrown them in a tree or thrown them down the embankment. All I was trying to do was clear the pathway. The incident itself is immaterial. Whether I was right, whether I was wrong, whether I threw the bikes, whether I didn't. The thing is, that event had an effect on me that lasted weeks. Uh, The confrontation went on a couple more times because people were standing around looking at me and then the father of one of the kids decided he'd have his say. Um, It it was bad. It it was not good. Um, And I had two of my kids there, so I'm I'm having to fight my rage because I don't want my kids to see that. All these things considered, my blood was up. My blood was boiling for at least the rest of that day. I was angry. I was frustrated. I wanted to hurt these people for attacking me. And then I was depressed and then I was anxious and then I was hypervigilant. I could barely sleep that night. The next day I woke up and it was as if the event had just happened and it was nothing. It was I'd moved a couple of bikes off a bike path and a weird mother had gotten upset about that instead of thinking, oh, you know what? My kids shouldn't have dumped their bikes on the path. And these were the thoughts that were going through my head and I I just couldn't stop them. Even now I'm feeling a little bit passionately outraged over it, which is bizarre when you think about it because it's so long ago and it's so, you know, there, there was no ongoing effects of this. There was nothing that happened to me or to anyone else because of this incident. But for weeks, I was in mental health crisis because of this event. Uh, suicidal ideation crept back in. Then it got louder and then it got more insistent. And then here I am, I'm contemplating, seriously contemplating taking my own life because of the pent-up emotion and frustration that this one event caused. Now, it's like an avalanche. If you've ever seen an avalanche, it starts very slowly. It, it, it It's crazy how slow an avalanche starts. You just kind of see the snow move in a tiny little bit and in the beginning you could think that it's a trick of light because the snow is moving so slowly and that was what this event was it was the 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 start of an avalanche now she went home she may have had an interesting story to tell around the dinner table but i'm certain it's not something that they're still going on about today like i am because for them, it was nothing. It was, ah, this idiot got upset at us in the park. He was throwing my kid's box around. But for me, the avalanche kept growing and growing and growing. And uh, eventually, like when you see in a, in a true avalanche, the entire side of the mountain was collapsing. And, and this is what it was like for me. Now, my, my family saw me become cranky. They saw me become uh, distant, as I want to do in a mental health emergency. I can't interact with people. I become somewhat of a zombie. Um, 
and they would have seen this for a couple of weeks afterwards. All in all, this was a shattering event for my mental health over nothing. Let's fast forward to the other day. I was at a particular school and there was a there was an incident with a kid and he um it was innocent and it was innocuous. Um I'm not going to go into it, but the kid responded by swearing at me and threatening me. And he was quite, um, it was extremely confronting. Let me put it that way. Let's go back to a couple of years. A woman asked me why I threw the bikes off the path and I lost my nana. The other day, a kid is swearing at me and threatening me. And now let's first off take away any stigma against this kid, okay? I don't know his situation. I don't know what he's going through. And I don't blame him for being upset at me. It was a confluence of events that possibly could have been avoided, but it's nobody was acting any differently than they do out of any time that we go into a school. This kid would come back later and he would actually apologize to me um, after I kind of did some things to kind of diffuse the situation. But let, let's take the blame against the kid away. Uh, I want to talk about the, let's talk about the words perhaps that set me off. In that moment, I didn't know what to do. And that airbag of emotion hit me in the face full force. And I know it did because I've felt it before. But this time, something was different. The rage, the fear, the anger were not controlling me. I felt in control of my emotions. Now, inside, I am freaking out. (laughs) I am losing it. I mean, I've got to get up in front of a class of kids and, and speak in just a few minutes. And here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm in the moment of a potential mental health crisis, which two, three, four years ago would have happened. I would have had to have put all my emergency uh, procedures into effect. I would have had to have leave, left the situation. I would have had to have gone to the car. would have had to call my support person. I would have had to have gone through the breathing program. I would have had to have done all my mindfulness stuff. I would have had to do my distracting stuff. Now, let's not downplay the fact that this was affecting me because it was. And I know that it was because when I got up to speak, it was the hardest speaking engagement I've ever done because I had to ignore what had happened and why I chose to speak afterwards. And and people asked me about this on the day particularly because my team was absolutely outraged and they were prepared to do anything to ensure that my mental health was protected. In that moment, I chose to do the talk. 
Now, I feel like the kids in that class didn't get my best by any way, shape or form, but they got the best that I could do in the circumstance. And initially it was hard. I I had a lot of trouble pulling my thoughts together and there were really long pauses. But I'm so grateful to the respect that the kids have for us coming in and speaking to them about mental health in that they didn't give up on me in my stuttering, my um, broken up uh, style, trying to push through this mental health emergency that I had. Now, why would I continue the talk? It's the same reason I love doing radio. It's the same reason I love doing podcasting. Because when I'm on the air, when I press that button and I hit record or I hit play or I hit the microphone button, I am in the moment. I am right now not thinking about uh, what I need to do this afternoon, what I did yesterday. Uh, I'm focusing on the narrative that I need to give to be the most effective that it can be. And that was what I was doing in that moment. And in that moment, I wasn't thinking about that kid. Initially, I was. But as it went on, say five minutes into the talk, I was able to start pushing through and I was able to start being myself. Now, what blows me away is the fact that, first of all, I could continue the talk. I could do the talk. Now, it's not in the moment that I was sitting there going, hooray! look at me, I'm freaking awesome. Aren't I great? No, in the moment I was thinking I'd failed completely. I'd walked into a classroom and been part of a disturbance before one of these important talks. But the thing was, I was able to continue like I wouldn't have been able to continue before. This is where I come to what resilience is. And it's sometimes something that you can't see. You you probably can't even identify. I couldn't. took me 12 years to figure out what resilience was and 12 years of heartache and struggle. And even then I didn't fully understand it. Even now I'm only just beginning to understand it because in the moment I wasn't all, yay, look at me. I, I was in the middle of a fail. But as the days went on, I was able to look back and I was able to to say, why aren't I fully broken down now? What is it that's happened? And the only thing I can put it down to is the work that my wife and I have done on my mental health over the last 10 years. The fact that I could be in the same room as that student. Now, the kid came back and all credit to him because it would have been hard. It would have been a little bit embarrassed because teachers pulled him out of the class. And I know initially he wasn't happy being there. In that moment, I was thinking of myself. I was thinking of myself in that park when that woman got upset at me for moving the bikes. She had no idea what I was going through. She had no idea how tough my life was up to that point. She couldn't have any idea. And that's what I looked at when I saw this young man. I saw myself. I've overreacted. I've been upset at people. And I was able to interact with him in a way that I hope turned that into a positive. Now, let's be clear. 
I did not want to do that. Should I be ashamed of that? I kind of feel like I am. I didn't want to. It went against every fiber of my being. I'd been verbally assaulted before I was about to do something as incredibly selfless as sharing my story of mental health, mental illness. But it was the right thing to do. And it's the thing that I would hope that I would do. I know that many people that listen to this are not Christian, but there's there's a famous verse that they talk about in um, weddings. Love is patient, love is kind, love is this, love is that. I once had a wise man say to me, love is patient, love is kind. Stop there. Now, there's another 15 or 16 things that love is. But if love is patient and love is kind, patient and kind, this is the type of person that I want to be. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. And that was what was going on in this classroom. Nothing biblical or spiritual. It was just what kind of person do I want to be? Do I want to be kind? and patient? Or do I want to enact justice on this kid? Without trying to embarrass him, and and this has nothing to do with him, I, when he first came back in the class, I was almost going to ask that he be escorted out. I was going to say, I don't feel safe. But then I saw myself in this park, and these people that were coming at me for what might have been legitimate reasons. I might have thrown the bikes. It was that innocuous. Even in that moment, five minutes after I did it, I didn't know that I'd done anything more than move these bikes off the path. If they'd been patient and kind and thought about it a second and said, hang on, my kid's shouldn't drop their bikes in the middle of a bike path. I mean, seriously, people have got to go down that path. Instead of being patient and kind, they attacked me. And this was an instance where I saw that if I'm patient and if I'm kind, now, part of you is going to think, oh, Mark's talking himself up today. I'm not. I'm really not because every fiber in my being did not want to act magnanimously. I did not want to act like an adult. I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to punish this kid. I'm so glad that that resilience kicked in and the true me, the real me came out. The one that is patient, the one that is kind, the one that has empathy and compassion. I don't know what's going to happen to this young man. I don't know what his life looks like, but I can honestly wish him well. And why I know that that's an attitude of resilience is because if I met the woman that abused me for moving a kid's bike, I don't think I'd be so kind. (laughs) I, I, I hope 
that I would be. Resilience isn't what you think. Resilience isn't being on Instagram and being able to jump around wearing a bikini or a budgie smugglers. It's, it's, that's not resilience. Resilience is not being able to stand on a mountain jumping up and down. Resilience is being able to be the best version of yourself at times where it would seem like it's impossible for you to be your honest self. Resilience is allowing your true character to come through in a time where it's the last thing in the world you want to do. When you think about that, being resilient is just being your true self, even in the worst of circumstances. Everybody shows resilience every day, but a person with mental illness cannot see that unless they have the vocabulary, the ability to dissect a situation, the the ability to analyze and reflect on how they may have acted in the past and how they acted this time. Now, I am never one to toot my own horn. And again, I don't see this as a tremendous victory for me. I see it as a failure because of the fact that it happened in the first place. That's my mental illness speaking. My rational side, my real me, is just saying, Mark, you know what? You did good, man. And just being able to say that to myself, Mark, you did good. It's such a paradigm shift for me. It's Even as I say it, I, I hear the truth in it, but I still, my mind rejects it. <laughs> No, you didn't do good. If you did good, you wouldn't have had the situation in the first place. How can you congratulate yourself where inside I was still, imagine me grinding my teeth, my emotional teeth to the, to the core. I see that as a failure. The fact that I got upset. I have to push those thoughts aside and I have to say, you know what, Mark? You turned a horrible situation into something that could have been positive and you didn't react in the way that you would normally have reacted. That is resilience. The fact that I didn't fall down. Yeah, the last couple of days were hard um, emotionally and yes, I did have to work hard to interact and be part of things. It wasn't impossible. And I was able to do it. I was able to take my kids to Costco. You might think that sounds ridiculous, but the fact that I was able to just get my kids to do some jobs around the house, whereas before I would have just been checked out completely. I would have been a non-entity. My wife would have been a single mother for another weekend. And she wasn't. And I can be proud of that, and I am proud of that. I just encourage you, find resilience in your own journey. 
Don't look at other people's resilience. It'll, it'll never work. Their resilience is not your resilience. Your resilience has got to be something that you can recognize where you can say, I might have acted like this, but I didn't. And I didn't have to. And that's what resilience is all about. For me, I'm going to continue to try and be that person who is kind and patient because it's the me I want to be. And that, to me, is resilience. I hope that makes sense. I honestly do. Look at like, subscribe, and share. Don't forget, you can buy my book. It's on Amazon. It's only like three or four bucks, depending on what country you're in. Thank you for listening today. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Shattered, the podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Meredith Brosnan, our executive producer, Torian Lau, and the band Adelaide for allowing us to use their song as our theme. Go to shatteredthepodcast.com for more information.